0: Matthew chapter 6. Hear the words of Jesus. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, They have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word and pray that it would bear fruit in our lives. I pray that you would make much of yourself today as we turn to your word and see the wonderful generosity that you have called us to as a picture of your unending, magnificent, unparalleled, incomparable generosity that you have shown to us in your Son. Christ, be lifted high. It's for your name we pray. Amen. Have you read the children's book, The Giving Tree? I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but that book has actually been surrounded by a lot of controversy Recently, if you're not familiar with the story, it's a story about an apple tree who becomes friends with a boy who plays in the shade and eats the apples and climbs in the branches, and they have fun together for this boy's whole childhood. Then he grows up and he moves on. And throughout the years of his life, he comes back to this tree with increasing demands and selfishness and focused on himself. And he says, yeah, you know, you know, give me your apples and I'll sell them so I can get some money. And give me your branches so I can build a house. And give me your trunks so that I can build a boat and sail far away from all my problems. Eventually, the boy comes back as an old man, uh, left with absolutely nothing. All that's left of the tree is a stump. And the old man wants a place to sit. So he sits on the stump and they live happily ever after together. You know, it's a sweet story about this tree that gave itself away for this boy that it loved, uh, but the story's been really heavily criticized recently, uh, because people are saying that the tree should have set some boundaries, and the tree shouldn't have quite been so giving, that the tree um, should have defended itself a little bit more. And yet, study after study in the social sciences is showing that generosity rather than self-protection and self-preservation generosity is actually what leads to a more full and abundant life I, i heard about one study that showed that generosity financial generosity in particular led to healthier bodies greater empathy lower rates of depression and even a longer lifespan the 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 woman that i heard speak about this study she said generosity doesn't make you rich but it does make your life richer. Generosity, rather than hoarding resources or protecting yourself, is the key to a better, longer life. And this shouldn't really be surprising to us at all if we're followers of Christ, because this is how Christ himself lived. Later on in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter 20, Christ described his life mission to say this, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so the foundation for everything that we're about to say and everything that we could ever say or think about generosity is that we're just trying to imitate our Heavenly Father who gave us his Son. We're trying to imitate Christ who held absolutely nothing back but allowed everything to be given up for the salvation of sinners like us. Our only hope is that Christ has been generous to us. And that's why Christ has called us to live in generosity. Jesus is calling us today in Matthew chapter 6 to be generous like he is, to give ourselves away so that we can truly live. And that's the point of the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? How to truly live. It's Jesus' description of the good life or the blessed life. It describes the true people of the true king living out their true lives. In other words, if you want to know what a follower of Jesus' life is really supposed to look like, read the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' description about how to really not just survive, but live. The main point that I want you to take home from this section of the Sermon on the Mount this morning Is the true disciple gives with radical generosity? The true disciple gives with radical generosity. And what makes our generosity so radical? Specifically in this text, what we expect to get out of it. What we expect to get out of it. So, two points today give generously, expecting nothing in return today. And number two, give generously expecting a great reward forever. The true disciple gives with radical generosity. So first, give generously, expecting nothing in return today. Jesus begins this text with a warning to you to not settle for a cheap reward. So hear the warning, and it is a warning in verse 1. Beware, Jesus says, of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus gives us this warning. And this is the introduction to the next section on the Sermon on the Mount. This is the heading for the next section where he gives this warning, this general principle. And then in the the bulk of the rest of chapter 6, he's going to apply this principle in three different ways. To giving, to prayer, and then to fasting. And we'll be looking at each of those examples over the next few weeks. But he starts here by talking about giving, applying this principle to giving. And what exactly is this warning? He warns about practicing your righteousness... about practicing the right things doing the right things from the wrong motives doing them verse 1 says in order to be seen by other people he's warning about hypocrisy you know imagine imagine there was a, there was this guy at church and everybody's thought, like man that guy is so godly because every sunday he gets up and he prays these super lofty prayers and he uses really big words and you're like i don't even know what half those words mean but like, God probably does. Like, he is, he's, he's the real deal. And then he goes home, and he uses that same mouth to scream at his wife and, and to, to yell at his neighbor and to curse his dog or whatever. That man would not be a godly man. Even though he prayed this awesome prayer in front of other people, and he was seen by you, he got his reward. Because he's not godly on the inside. He's a hypocrite. And Jesus is not saying that you can only do those things privately or secretly Because that would be a pretty easy command to obey, honestly. You know, if the command was, every time you give a gift, it has to be anonymous, that would be a pretty easy gift, that would be an easy command to obey, right? Or if he was saying, you can only pray in private when no one else is around you, you know, that would be a pretty easy command to obey. But Jesus is after so much more than that. As we've seen again and again in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not merely after the external Just pray in private, just give anonymously. Jesus is after the heart that motivates those actions. He's after our hearts. He's after all of us. And so, what we need is not merely to change our behavior, but to change our hearts. And we can't do that. We need God to do that. And He does that by His boundless generosity. We haven't earned that heart change, but the Lord gives it to us. The Lord gives it to us. He changes our hearts. So Jesus gives us this general principle, and then he applies it in three different areas. First is giving. Verse two, thus, Jesus says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. So Jesus is talking about almsgiving or giving to the poor, which was a sacred practice in his day among the Jewish people. So it's not just, you know, throwing a few dollars out your car window as you drive by. It's a very sacred act that was a, an important part of the Jewish life in that day. And, and just imagine the ridiculousness of this scene here. Sound no trumpet before you. So you just literally just imagine this scene of, of somebody, a guy or a girl, walking down the street and he sees someone poor and, and needy and he, he reaches into his bag and he pulls out his horn, stretches it out. I don't know how to play a horn. Because some of you play the trumpet and you're like, you have no idea what you're talking about. He pulls out his horn and he says, Do-do-do! attention everyone, I've found this poor, poor, needy individual. I've got one dollar. And he gives it to the guy. And everybody's like, oh man, that guy, that guy's awesome. Like, oh man, I need to give one of those trumpets because he is cool. Uh, it's a ridiculous scene, right? And Jesus, he, he gives us this over-the-top illustration here about sounding a trumpet before you in the street. Like, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm so great. The king is here giving the money away to this poor little peasant. Uh, he, he gives us this over-the-top example to show us how ridiculous our hypocrisy is. But don't don't get distracted by the by the the or the, the, the hyperbole that Jesus uses here, because we all do the same thing, don't we? We often serve with an intention to be seen by others. We, we love to tell these self-aggrandizing stories about our acts of generosity or about our acts of service. You know, like, oh, man, just had a really long weekend. Just helped so many people move and really was just serving. Around on the home all weekend. Like, we, tell, we tell stories like that to other Christians. Honestly, friends, this is one of the dangers that comes with group texts or social media is it makes it so easy to broadcast it to hundreds of people that you haven't even talked to since high school, but it's really important that they think you're great. So this seems like a ridiculous scene, but we often do the same thing. I think one of the most insidious ways that we live this way is that we often give with a motivation to pay off debts. So often when, when we want to give to someone, we kind of play this mental calculus in our mind. And we think, okay, well, you know, like so-and-so bought me dinner last week, so I better, I better get it this time. Instead of thinking, the Lord's giving me money, I, should, I want to bless this person, I want to give to them. We act not out of a heart of generosity, but out of a heart of debt. And even more insidious is when we give to place other people in our debts. You know, I might need a favor from them later on, so I'm going to serve them now. I'm going to help them out now. We, we give not out of a heart of generosity, but out of a heart of hypocrisy. And what does Jesus say to them in verse 2? Truly I say to you, they have their reward. You know, you see that phrase, truly I say to you, or truly, truly I say to you, throughout the four Gospels in the New Testament. And that's not Jesus' way of saying, like, hey, I've been lying up to this point, but now I'm going to tell you the truth. That's Jesus' way of saying, like, hey, like, eyes up here, like, this is important. Listen to this. Truly I say to you, like, I'm, I'm not making this up. You've got to hear this. They've received their reward. Oh man, what a stinging rebuke. Like that guy with the trumpet that everybody's like, "Oh man, he looks so cool." Claps props to him. Uh that's his. that's his reward. That's it. He's done. It's it's good. Like hope you hope it was good, man. Hope it filled you up. Uh it's this sting rebuke that cheap praise is all you're ever going to get. So the true disciple gives with radical generosity, expecting nothing in return. Today, this isn't Altruistically calling you to just like not worry at all about what will be returned to you. It's a call to not settle for less. Have you heard about the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment? I talk about this all the time at my house because all of us are so impatient, mostly me. The Stanford Marshmallow Experiment was this uh, social experiment where they put children individually in a room, at a table, with a marshmallow on it, and they said, okay, wait 15 minutes. If you don't eat that marshmallow in the next 15 minutes, then I'll come back and I'll give you two marshmallows. And And they tracked these children throughout their lives, and they found that the kids that waited 15 minutes and got two marshmallows, they didn't settle. They, they had better SAT scores, they got better education, they went on to save the world, You know, you know, do all these great things. But the point is that's what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to not settle. And when we live for the praise of other people, it's like living for this one tiny, dinky little marshmallow when he's invited us to live for so much more, even more than two marshmallows. He's inviting us to live for more. So friends, let's get underneath of all this. Stop living as if the approval of other people is even worth it. He's not just saying, like, stop caring about other people. He's saying, rethink, rethink how you value things. Because other people's approval is really not that valuable. Stop believing the lie that the approval of others is worth it. We're all craving it. And Christ gives it freely. You know, the world's approval comes based on this cosmic accounting of good and bad. If you've done more good than bad... You get a thumbs up, you get some retweets, you get some likes on the gram. If you've done more bad than good, then then you get sidelined or you get canceled or you get looked down upon. So the world's approval is based on our goodness. The Christian worldview, friends, is radically different in every way because it's not based on our goodness. God's approval of you is not based on any good that you have offered to him. God's approval of you is based on His goodness, not your own goodness. All of us are sinful. None of us have enough goodness to earn God's love or to curry favor with God. But God approves us on the basis of His grace, His mercy. Again, hear those words from Matthew chapter 20. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many or as we heard about last week from Romans chapter 5. God loved us when we were his enemies, and that's why he gave his son to us. God's approval of you, friends, is not based on anything good that you have to offer, as if we had anything good to offer apart from his grace. God's approval of you is based purely on his grace. It's free. It's free. Stop striving, friends. It's given to you. We don't have to work for the approval of a God who loves us. We don't have to. It's given to you. It's grace. It's free. And so if you're a Christian, you don't need to be approved by other people because you've been approved by God. You know, that's like, like, imagine if like the vice president was chosen by the president, like, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty big approval. And then he gets, like, super worried because he, like, sees a guy, and he's like, hey, man, you look funny. It's like, the, the, the appropriate response to that would be like, okay, I've been approved by the president. I've been approved by the king. That's how Christians ought to live. When people slander us or when people don't approve us, it's okay. We've been approved by the king. We've been chosen by the king, not based on our goodness, but based on his goodness. You can't impress him, and that's really bad news. You don't have to impress him, and that's the happiest news that there's ever been. And if you're not a Christian, and you haven't yet come to believe that the Son of Man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for you to pay the debt for your sin— and come and find life in him today. Come and talk to me after the service. And we'd love to help you take your next steps to follow after Christ, to find life in this Christ who gave himself away for you. You don't have to impress him. That's the happiest news in the universe. And yet, God calls us to live in such a way that we would know and experience and have more of him. Give generously, expecting nothing in return today. And number two, give generously, expecting a great reward forever. When we give generously, not expecting a reward from other people, we will receive a great reward from God. Verse 3, Jesus says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Now when Jesus talks about your left hand and your right hand, he's not talking about some weird physical posture where you have to like contort yourself when you put your offering in the basket or when you give money to the homeless. He's talking about the body of Christ, where the New Testament frequently describes the church as a body, and each of us is a part of that body, and Jesus is saying we don't have to give so that the other parts of the body see us because we're all here to worship the head, not the right hand. So give, not to be seen by others, but so that your giving may be in secret. And that word secret doesn't mean that we have to be deceptive or that we have to hide our giving or that we can only ever give anonymously. But, but the, the, what, he's, what he's up against here is, remember verse 1, in order to be seen by others. So it's okay if other people see you give or see you pray or see you fast. What Jesus is against is doing those things in order to be seen by others. So don't get legalistic about this in your giving as if like, oh, I I can only ever give anonymously. Or if I get like a tax deductible receipt at the end of the year, then I'm like, I sinned. Like, okay, well, there's my reward. Great. It's not even going to do anything on my taxes probably. Um, he's calling us to care about the inward motives of our heart. It's not just an external thing, given honestly. It's an internal thing. Give, not to be seen by others, but to be seen by God. And God does see you. Verse 4 continues, "...and your Father who sees in secret will reward you." So every time you give, you will receive a reward, Either the applause of other people or a reward from God. When you give for God's approval instead of the praise of other people, you will receive a great reward. And what are these rewards like? Like, he just kind of leaves us hanging like, oh man, it's going to be good. Like, your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. It's going to be awesome. Uh, But what are these rewards like? The rest of the Sermon on the Mount kind of clues us in to what he's talking about here. Uh, Three things about these rewards. These rewards are in heaven. In Matthew 5, 12, Jesus said, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Now that, That word heaven is a loaded term in the Sermon on the Mount. There's a lot at play anytime Jesus says the word heaven throughout Matthew's gospel. And, and specifically, uh, I mean, one of the things is that it's, it's literally somewhere else. We're not living for what we have today. We're living for what we will one day have. But also, frequently in Matthew's gospel, the term heaven is used to describe the God of heaven himself. And so Jesus is calling us here to know God rather than to be known by God others these rewards are in heaven these rewards are acts of justice Matthew five twelve continues rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you there's this huge theme in the Sermon on the Mount that being a follower of Jesus is very costly and it will be difficult in this life Jesus is not calling you to live your best life now but to live the blessed life, which is a life of suffering now. But he promises, along with that great cost, he promises that there's a greater reward coming that outweighs the cost today, and it makes it all worth it. It makes it all worth it. These rewards are in heaven. These rewards are acts of justice. And these rewards are eternal. Matthew chapter 6 later on down your page Matthew 6:19 Jesus says do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal human rewards are temporary fleeting rewards from God will last forever when I was a kid and I like went to the dentist or Chuck E Cheese or anywhere that I got to choose a prize, I, I would like hate the idea of getting candy because I knew like I would eat it one time and it would be gone forever. And it's like, well, like why would I choose candy when I have a toy? Didn't you know, like, I didn't have to worry about the fact that that was probably gonna break on the car ride home. Uh, and like stickers still like stress me out so much because you just stick them one time and it's like, well, that's not a commitment I'm ready to make. Uh, and then it's gone. Like, you put it on your shirt, and then it's like, well, i got to wash my shirt later. Uh, and, and it's similar, human rewards are temporary. They're candy. They're going to melt. Stickers, you stick them one time. But rewards from God, on the other hand, last forever. They last forever. So don't settle for the cheap human rewards. Go after those eternal rewards that God alone can give. So again, Jesus is calling to you today. He's appealing to you. He's pleading with you. Don't settle. It's not worth it. Live for what's going to last. Live for my rewards because they're better rewards than anything that someone can give you in this world. Two clarifications here on these rewards Jesus does promise that every believer will have varying eternal rewards. And yet, we know that everyone will be completely satisfied forever in eternity. How does that work out? I don't know. It's a mystery. But I can promise you that we will not spend eternity enviously comparing his rewards or her rewards compared to your own rewards because we will know God and he is our true treasure and infinite pleasure. So these rewards will not compromise our satisfaction. And just one other clarification, these rewards come from God's grace to us, not God's debt to us. This is not us earning favor with God, or earning God's gifts, or earning God's grace. This is God's goodness overflowing on people who are overlooked in this life. It's not God's debt to us. It's God's grace to us. So friends, give generously, not for your own glory, but for God's glory. As we close, I just want to break apart that phrase into three parts. Give generously. Number two, not for your own glory. Number three, but for God's glory. So first, give generously. So do not walk away from these warnings in Matthew 6, 1 through 4, and be like, okay, good, don't have to give anymore. That would not be an appropriate application of what Jesus is saying here. This is not a call to stop giving, but to check your motives in giving. Because giving is an assumption for all Christians. Just think about these two realities. Everything that you have is a gift from God. It was given to you so that you can give to others. The generosity of God fuels our generosity to one another. Everything you have is a gift. And number two, everything you have belongs to God. It isn't yours to hold on to, friends. It's just been entrusted to you. You know, if I asked Thomas, they're like, hey, Thomas, can you hold the microphone for a minute? And then later Pastor Chad asked him and said like, hey, Thomas, can I borrow that microphone for a second? It wouldn't be fair for Thomas to say, no, it's mine. Go away, Pastor Chad. That'd be foolish. It's not Thomas's to hold on to. And the same is true of every resource that you have. It's not yours to hold on to, so give it away freely. Some of you are thinking right now, That you can't afford to give. You can't afford to be generous with your finances, specifically right now. And there's two very nasty words that came into your mind throughout this sermon, and you've kind of just been singing them in the back of your mind like, yeah, but student loans. (laughs) Student loans. Friends, don't allow your loans to become your Lord. God has commanded you to be generous, He's commanded you to be generous. And he's even given you and promised to give you everything that you need as you walk in generosity. In, in his letter to the Philippians, you know that you know the backstory of the letter to the Philippians? The apostle Paul was a missionary, and the Philippians sent him a very generous gift of financial report. Even though things weren't going great for their church, they were, they were often poor, and, and, but they gave over and above to, to support Paul's work because they knew it was important and they loved Paul. And so Paul writes the letter to the Philippians. It's a thank you note. It's the world's best thank you note ever written. And and, and he says in Philippians chapter 4, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. So the next time you think you can't afford to be generous, remember that verse from Philippians 4. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. And that is not an invitation to like name it and claim it. That is a guarantee that God will never let his people Go without as they walk in radical generosity. You got to remember the context of all of Philippians. My God will supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory. He's got a He's got a fat account. He will never run out of resources to use to care for you as you care for other people. And honestly, if you cannot afford to give, if every cent of your income is accounted for, then are there sacrifices that you can make in order to give more generously? Because remember, the true disciple gives with radical generosity. The kind of radical generosity that says, I'm okay to have ads on Spotify so that I can have 10 more dollars a month to give to people that need it. Or I'm okay canceling Netflix, I probably watch it too much anyway. I heard one preacher say this week, if God isn't first in your finances, he isn't first in your life. So we need to have a mindset change. We need to remember that these resources aren't ours. We need to remember that when our pay increases or when our expenses go down, our standard of living doesn't have to increase with them, but our generosity can. Our generosity can. And I, want, I just want you to know, I, because I know almost everyone in this room personally, and I've seen the ways that you've given yourselves, I want you to know that there are some generous people in this room. And what I want you to hear in this is not give more money. What I want you to hear is like a promise from Jesus. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. It's worth it. Friends, persevere in that work of generosity. Do not stop being generous with your resources and your finances and your time and your gifts because the Lord sees and the Lord knows and the Lord will never stop being generous to you. Just hold on to that promise and persevere. Give generously. What are some opportunities that we have to give? Well, what is Jesus talking about here? Giving to the needy. And there's a lot of homeless people in our city that we have an opportunity to give to. And unfortunately, when, when that conversation comes up or when we're driving down New York Avenue and we literally see a homeless person, we, we, we say in our minds, well, he's just going to use it for drugs, so I better not give it to him. Well, friends, if, if you really believe that, then why not give your time as well and care for that homeless individual And maybe if you really believe he's going to go buy drugs with the money, then take him to McDonald's and buy him a burger yourself and sit with him and talk to him and encourage him and tell him about Christ. If you're really concerned about his welfare that much that you wouldn't even give him money because you can't trust him enough, then give him your time because that guy needs a lot of care. That girl needs a lot of care. The problem is we just use excuses like that to just pile up this barrier so that we don't have to give. We're like these dragons hiding in a cave on a pile of gold, like mine, stay away. And Jesus is saying, you don't need to do that. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. Stop piling up excuses and give generously. Give to the homeless. Another another application is giving to the church family, The, the family. We're not just like a group of people that come together because it's kind of fun on Sunday mornings. We come together because we're brothers and sisters. And this is our family gathering. This is our family reunion. When we have lunch, it's a family meal. We're family. We are blood-bought brothers and sisters. Now, if your biological brother or sister had a need... Why wouldn't you drop everything that you have and give generously to help support them? Of course you would do that. One of the ways that you can do that in our church family is by, by giving to our church because a portion of that giving is set aside for our benevolence fund, which is used to support people with great financial need. People that are short on rent this week or need help paying for a medical procedure That Benevolence Fund has been a big blessing to help support people in the life of our church. So know confidently that when you give to our church, you're helping one another. You're supporting one another. Give your finances, but also give your time. When people have needs, when people are moving, when people need help, With a project, our first response should not be, do I want to do this? Our first response should be, how can I help? Because if our first question is, do I want to do this, that makes our feelings king. But if our first response is, how can I help, that makes Christ king. It's about taking yourself out of the center of the universe and putting Christ there. And doing whatever it takes to serve the people that he gave his life for, as a ransom for Give your time when people have needs. Friends, you have been given gifts. And 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 makes very clear that you have been given those gifts for a specific purpose, the building up of the church. So if you are a Christian, if you're a member of Pillar DC in particular, you have been brought here for a very, very particular reason. You have gifts that our church needs. You are just as integral to this church body as my lungs are to my physical body. You have been given gifts for the building up of the church. So be quick to use those gifts to give your time to serve others. Be quick to give your time when people are hurting. Don't just be a fixer. You know, often I think that our our desire to be a fixer is really just rooted in our own selfishness with our time. It's like, this guy's like a big mess. I don't have time to like sit and weep with him for a long time. So I'm just going to like slap a Band-Aid on it and move along. That's often what we do when we try to just be a fixer. We just don't want to give our time. We just want to move along. So friends, change that about yourself. Be quick to give your time. If you're feeling convicted about that. You know, when it comes to generosity, a lot of people talk about a scarcity mindset like, oh, we just don't have enough. We don't have enough to give. And if I give, I'm not going to have enough and I'm going to go without. Well, two things. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, Philippians chapter four. And also, I think in, in D.C., many of us don't have a scarcity mindset about our money, but we do definitely have a scarcity mindset about our time. So what would it take to give ourselves generously, to give our time generously? When I, was, when I was a new Christian and starting out in ministry, I heard the advice, go to bed tired. Like, just spend your day pouring yourself out for other people. And at the end of the day, you're going to be tired, and it's okay. You have time, you have strength, you have resources to serve other people people. So let's do that, friends. Let's serve one another in love. Be quick to give your time to help other people grow. Are you willing to disciple someone? Are you willing to meet with another believer and encourage them in good works and in faith? You might say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, good news for you. Disciple Maker training on June 4, right here at 10 a.m. Be there or be there. It'll be awesome. You'll be trained to give yourself. Give generously. Number two, not for our own glory. Selfishness stops our giving because we hoard resources instead of generously giving them. And selfishness also spoils our giving because we're after human approval rather than praise and rewards from God and his glory. So trust God and give your time and your money and yourself away. Generously. Give generously, not for your own glory, number three, but for God's glory. Giving for God's glory affects the way that we give. We're not after human approval, we're after the rewards from God that will last forever. And giving for God's glory affects where we give, because we can prioritize causes that spread God's glory. And friend, just another reason why we talk so much about giving to our church, not because like, we want bigger paychecks or anything. Honestly, I want a lower one. We, but, but because we want to prioritize causes in your giving that spread God's glory. In a couple weeks, we'll vote as a church family on a new budget for our church for the new fiscal year. And 13% of that budget immediately goes right out the door to support other God-glorifying works. It's things that we can't even touch as a church staff. And cards on the table, we have plans to increase that number very significantly in the next few years. We want to give more away, not hold more back. So will you partner with us so that we're able to do that? Give generously, not for your own glory, but for God's glory. And give, remembering that our God has been so generous to give to us. We started our time talking about a kid's book, The Giving Tree. And as we think about the giving tree, or as we think about giving ourselves away, we ought to remember the one who gave himself on a tree as the ransom for many. Our generosity is just a following after Christ who gave himself away for you, friends. He gave himself for you. Again, hear these words from Matthew twenty twenty-eight: The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, he gave himself to you. So stop striving and worrying and just trust him because he is good. If you don't hear anything that I say about giving yourself away, I want you to hear about the one who gave himself away for you. He gave himself for you. I'm going to invite the music team to come back up. And we're going to get to see, we have the privilege today of partaking in one of the most incredible pictures of God's generosity that he has ever given to us, which is the Lord's Supper. And in the Lord's Supper, we have this picture of the Christ who did that in Matthew 28, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's a lot of things that you could think about and reflect on as we take the Lord's Supper. And this is what I'm asking you to think about today, that the Lord's Supper is a picture of a gift. It's a picture of a gift. Hear these words from Luke 22. Describing Jesus' last supper with his disciples. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. You hear that? He's talking about his sacrifice. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be held back From these blessings, I'm going to die in your place. I will not drink of the fruit until the kingdom comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them. He gave it to them. Saying, this is my body. Which is given for you. Do this. In remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus is inviting us to take this bread and to drink this wine that was given for you. What an astounding picture of the radical. Generosity of our God. That's what we get to think about as we take the Lord's Supper, given for you. Just think about those three words, given for you. And who is the Lord's Supper given for? It's given for those who are disciples of Jesus Christ. It's given for those who have been born again by the Spirit of God and who are following Christ by His grace. And so at our church, we ask that only those who are either members of this church or members of a like-minded church who have been baptized as a believer come and take the Lord's Supper. It doesn't mean that we want to exclude you from this meal, it means that this meal is for a particular group of people, a family. It's a family meal. And so this meal is given for you, those of you who have trusted in Christ. And so if you're not a Christian, we ask that you not come forward, or if you have not been baptized as a believer, we ask that you not come forward and take this meal today. We ask that you would continue to think on those three words again, given for you. We're just going to take a few minutes now to silently pray and think about those words, given for you, and find great joy and freedom in those words. Take a minute to pray and thank God that Christ was given for you.